It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Woman in the Window. This is a safe place. I'm agoraphobic. I can't go outside. I've been slipping, getting into a really dark frame of mind. What's the latest on the street? Your neighbor, she's become a friend. Her name is Jane Russell. Do you want to go outside? You know, I have a shrink of my own. Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. Ma'am, you all right? I know Jane. Jane's been in my house. I'm Jane Russell. I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. They're all hiding something. I told you, you will not you've never met my mother. Stop watching our house. The doctor said that your meds can cause hallucinations. I'm not hallucinating. I think there's somebody in my house. Don't go looking into other people's houses. You won't like what you see. everybody you were just listening to the trailer for the woman in the window and the story is as follows agoraphobic dr anna fox witnesses something she shouldn't while keeping tabs on the russell family the seemingly picture-perfect clan that lives across the way film is starring amy adams gary oldman anthony mackie fred hetchinger Wyatt Russell, Brian Tyree Henry, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Julianne Moore. It is directed by Joe Wright, written by Tracy Letts. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Lauren LaMagna. Hi. Ryan C. Showers. Hello, hello. Cody Derricks. Hi. And Dan Baer. Stop calling our house. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you never fail. You never, ever fail. So The Woman in the Window, a movie that I feel like we've been hearing about for forever. Literally. (laughs) It originally was supposed to be coming out from 20th Century Studios, and then it eventually moved over to Netflix. It suffered from many 
delays due to COVID-19. There were also some production issues as well, where there were script rewrites, reshoots. Tony Gilroy had to step in. So it's been a bit of a mess. And the question on everyone's mind heading into the final product was always, is the mess of this long production going to equate itself onto the screen? And it seems that there are some people who were okay with that, saying, hey, I know it's going to be a mess and I'm here for the mess. And then there are some people who are like, yep, it's a mess. And then there are other people who don't have that belief either. What's really, really great is that heading into this review right now, I honestly don't know what really anyone here thinks of this film. And it has been a very polarizing film so far. There's been uh, many, many obituaries written about Amy Adams's career for some reason on social media since the release of this film. I still don't really understand that but everyone seems to have an opinion since it's widely available on netflix so why don't we first start off with cody derricks cody what did you think of the woman in the window well first of all let's just say um we're so happy to hear that finally she's been let out of the window you know there were a lot of fits and starts we weren't (laughs) sure when it was gonna happen she's out everybody when people joked around that the father was like this imaginary film that like was never going to get released it's like no the woman in the window really is never going to get released we are never going to see this movie (laughs) truly the avatar 2 of mid-budget uh thrillers um Anyway, so movies like this, the kind of knockoffy Hitchcock starring prestige actresses, I'm thinking of Girl on the Train, you know, Gone Girl is probably the best version of this. Uh, even something like, you know, it's kind of a meme, but I think it's genuinely a good movie, Ma to a degree. Um, this fits right in with that kind of uh, micro genre that kind of reminds me of like kind of 90s pulpy thrillers i'm thinking the ones that starred ashley judd and the like you know usually based on a paperback i find them weirdly comforting <laughs> i find them very enjoyable and you know sure it's not great art and it doesn't really even do much beyond kind of just comment on these fictional characters uh that being said i think the woman in the window was perfectly fine i I enjoyed my time watching it, which sometimes I'm an easy mark and that's truly all I need to say thumbs up. Is there some very, I'm holding my hands up, directing going on? Absolutely. Did Joe Wright watch Rear Window the day before filming started? Probably. But (laughs) overall, I did not hate the time I spent with this woman in the window. Yeah, I, I can understand that. It's I, I do think that maybe a little bit like Amy Adams' last film, Hillbilly Elegy, I do think that people are being maybe a little overly harsh and overly reactive uh, to this film when there really doesn't need to be. But it is an easy target when it has had this long production history and it's like giving people time to sharpen the knives, essentially. And I feel like, you know... There is stuff to talk about here of merit, especially if you are a fan of this subgenre, as you put it there, Cody. Why don't we hear next from Lauren? Lauren, what did you think of The Woman in the Window? Well, I was very interested in the whole, is it going to get released? Is it not going to get released storyline? And I've been through that with Dark Phoenix and The New Mutants, where I just know it's not going to go well, manage your expectations and just be happy if it ever gets released. So I was happy that it got released and I was never going to expect um, this amazing movie. And I, I, I would say I'm a, kind of a fan of Joe Wright. I like 
um, Atonement. I like his episode of Black Mirror. I thought that was a good episode. So I didn't expect it to be like a horrible film, but um, I also wasn't aware of the book. I just knew it was a thriller and I kind of liked um, Girl on the Train. I really love Gone Girl. So it might be fun just to, you know, watch and just be a simple popcorn movie. But I was surprised about all the opinions I had on this movie because I do think this film has so much potential and really could tell a really great story, but it just doesn't know what it wants to say. And it takes a sharp turn after sharp turn after sharp turn where the narrative is just so, oh, so confusing. And especially with that third act, it just loses me. So I'm glad it came out. I'm happy she's out of the window, as Cody said. <laughs> Praise and me. that's. Yeah, that's that's the highlight of the thing for me that it's over with, it's out, it's gone. Let's celebrate that. And um but yeah, it's just it's just a mess. <laughs> all right, all righty. Let's hear next from Ryan C. Showers. I have to say I fall more in line with Cody. Uh you know, I Matt, I do agree with you. I think this movie is the easiest target of easy targets. Um and Joe Wright is undoubtedly miscast as the director. Um, that being said, I do, (laughs) he is, um, I do think if this movie had, and and that's not to say, I think everything he does here completely flops. Um, I don't think he holds the movie together. Totally great. I think everybody shows up to do the best job that they can for the most part, um, in all the different areas of the film's production. Um, he has a a hard time making the screws tighten, tighten. And I think if we had a different director, that was more appropriate, this would be a really fantastic, widely liked movie. Um, that being said, like I did think that, like, so I read the book back in 2018 uh, and I really liked the book. And I think it's a decent adaptation in terms of the narrative substance. Uh, I think they translate a lot of the book's plot and character well. Um, and I actually do think the script is more solid than it's than people are giving it credit for. I do love the parallel, um, you know, the, the plot of the mystery of the murder and then her, then like the parallel with the character development and her arc. I think that's really well done. And um, the cinematography is just great. Like I love looking at this movie. I think it's, I think it's such a great looking film. And I do think Amy Adams gives a genuinely good, maybe great performance. Like there are at least two or three scenes that really just kind of blow me away from her as an, from a performance level. Um, that being said, I do understand like Joe Wright, he, the way that he directs certain sequences, they're really bad, especially like the finale. Like I can't, like I, I struggle to even know if I can give this movie a positive, like overall rating because the finale is so bad. But, um, but yeah, that's where I am. The finale, uh, spoiler alert, was enough to knock down my grade a single point, uh, but we'll get into Same. reasons why about that in a little bit. Uh, but I, I do agree with you, uh, Ryan, on the most part here. It feels like everybody showed up to do their best work and in a vacuum, it's like every individual element really is firing on all cylinders. But and I thought about this and then I, I was wondering where my frustration with this film ultimately lied. Was it the screenplay? Was it, you know, the possibility of these reshoots or like the structure of the film? And I eventually just came down to it. it my problem and my frustration was with Joe Wright and how he was never able to 
take all these individual elements and put them all together. So passing it over to Nicole, do you agree? Do you disagree? What did you think of Woman in the Window? Uh, I think for starters, Joe Wright was Joe wrong for this movie. Um, (laughs) That's funny. Thank you. (laughs) We make jokes on the next Best Picture podcast. We make jokes. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm undoubtedly the biggest Joe Wright fan um, on the site. Maybe the biggest Joe Wright fan on Twitter, to be honest. Uh, And I can recognize when the man has done wrong. And this is it. Uh, Joe Wright should not make movies that are not period films, if you ask me. But I think that there is good in this movie. I think, you know, some people are acting like this is an absolute atrocity, and I don't think it is. I think that people are just being a bit superfluous about it. Because I think that there's a lot of good in this. I think that Amy Adams is giving, you know, a very committed, uh, very good performance. I think that the story itself is interesting. I think some of the cast do a really good job. I think some of the cast do a really bad job, but I'll wait and get into that later. I will say it was kind of funny for me as a big fan of Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I did not realize Wyatt Russell was in this until he like rolled in, uh, which was just funny because of Anthony Mackie also being in it. I just wish they had shared a scene together. So I that... wanted them to have a scene <laughs> so badly. Oh. <laughs> I was like, now fight. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think as someone who is like a huge fan of Rear Window, Rear Window is one of my favorite movies. I think. Like, this was never going to live up to that. And I think it plays a little bit too close to it in parts uh, so that you're just thinking about a better movie while you're watching it. But like all of that said, I don't think it's a horrific movie. I think there's some good things in it. I just think, like other people have already said, Joe Wright was completely the wrong director for it. All right. Now we come to Dan Baer. Dan, what did you think of The Woman in the Window? (laughs) Man, what an evil laugh. (laughs) (laughs) This movie um, has given me anxiety all week. Um, First, because, you know, like, oh, my God, it's finally here. I have to watch it. And then um, the the movie itself gave me anxiety from uh, nearly the first frame of the movie. Um, The the shot uh, with the title card, which is, I think, technically the third shot in the movie, just, like, I I felt attacked by the color, not necessarily by the colors in the frame, but by their composition, like, what colors are next to each other and where they are on screen. I, I just felt very, it, it was very aggressive, and I was not expecting that. And then when it was done, I had anxiety because I, I I did not know what to think of it. I I didn't know what was going on, um, and my I think where that comes from is that everyone involved in this is doing um, exactly what you hire these people to do, right? Like you hire Bruno Del Bono to give these sort of like really interesting color compositions that tell you a lot about character and you hire Danny Elfman to do this kind of pastiche music and you hire Gary Oldman to be over-the-top menacing, and you hire Julianne Moore if you want someone kind of flighty but needs to make an impression, and you hire Amy Adams if you want someone who is, like, fraying around the edges but still has a core of 
strength and trustworthiness inside them. And like all of these individual elements are really great, but then everyone is giving like 110% and the movie is just a lot. And I think it's too much because of that. But (laughs) at the same time, I think that Joe Wright is doing some really, really interesting things and some things that are, frankly, really ballsy for a big, pulpy, mainstream, kind of like kind of trashy thriller like this. Um, There are some shots and sequences in this that just like knocked me out because of how uh, stylish they were and how like drenched in style they were. But the more I thought about it, as much as I love all those individual elements, they don't really come together. And I think that's because they are, he's Joe Wright is throwing all this style at this movie to paper over the fact that it's ultimately kind of hollow. There is not, really much there there everything kind of happens exactly as you sort of expect it to um and maybe if not exactly how or who you expect it to certainly when you do like you can almost time it like yep we got a twist coming now and oh we have another twist that's gonna come in about five to ten minutes um and i part of that i think is from the source material um the author of the novel has said that he basically took spare parts from all these other uh, really famous bestseller thriller novels to put them together. So it is kind of like this Frankenstein's monster of a perfect trashy paperback thriller. But then it just doesn't, it's still not satisfying ultimately as a movie, even though I liked it the first time I watched it, it, I was just intrigued all the way through by what everybody was doing. And then we got to the last, the last act. And I was like, well, this is kind of this figures. Um, And then I watched it again and it had even less impact. um, And I feel bad because I wish that more movies like this would take the kind of chances this movie takes. But unfortunately, because it doesn't end up being in a really good movie, I fear that that'll never happen. You know, I've heard a lot of comparisons being made to uh, movies like Girl on the Train, Gone Girl. But the movie that I kept thinking of uh, constantly while watching this was actually Shutter Island. Mm, I was thinking a lot about how this is Joe Wright's genre exercise in paying homage to Alfred Hitchcock. And it has that controlled sensibility of someone like a David Fincher, where it is so meticulous in the framing, the editing and how every single shot is like very purposeful in what it's doing. But then I was trying to figure out, okay. Because Shutter Island also didn't get, like, the warmest reception when it came out because people did just, like, kind of chalk it off to, oh, it's just a genre film about mental health issues. And this is another film where it's like, oh, it's just a genre film about mental health issues. And so in terms of what the films have to say, that isn't really dissimilar necessarily. They both have very emotionally committed performances from their lead actors, as we mentioned before. I think, for me, the reason why this film kind of fell apart earlier on where Shutter Island hit me like a gut punch was because I 
predicted the twist to this movie earlier on. Um, I think Joe Wright telegraphs a little too easily what the actual twist of this movie is, uh, both for its lead character and also for the final reveal, which brings us into the third act, where as a result of that, because I kind of caught on to that early, I then was only left to really enjoy what Amy Adams was doing, what the cinematography was doing, what Danny Elfman was doing, like all these individual pieces. But as a result, the illusion was broken for me and I couldn't then kind of appreciate all these individual elements as a whole. Did did anybody else kind of figure out what the besides who read the book here, by the way, figure out who the, what the twist was? Well, at the beginning, I thought what was revealed to be what they're leading to was the case. And then so I got like my own little twist when it was like established what we're told it is in the beginning. I'm trying to be as vague as possible, obviously. Of course. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think I don't mind a twist not working, but when the movie and I think Dan said it's kind of hollow and I I've said very similar things. I definitely agree when the movie is kind of leaning towards that and it doesn't really give you reason to Care is a strong word, <laughs> but <laughs> doesn't give you the tools necessary to have the proper reaction. It does come across as uneventful. I will say, I think the scene where we learn what exactly is going on uh, about two thirds of the way through the movie, which is kind of a, a scattered monologue from Amy Adams. Oh, probably the best part of the movie for me. Easily. Um, Easily. She knocks it out of the park. She has two extended monologues in the movie uh, that are kind of, you don't know their monologues until you're like halfway through. And she's really good in this movie. It's something I haven't really seen her do much, which is do the thing I'm doing right now. Not be sure of what you're going to say next. You know, she is, she's very concentrated on what she wants to say, but doesn't know how exactly to put the words together. And it, it really is the kind of acting you really want to see because it doesn't feel practiced and, it, and mm -hmm. it's 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 messy in a way that is true to life when she's uh doing that one monologue where she's uh trying to put things together and she's saying yeah, her thoughts yeah. out loud for everyone i genuinely started to get really sad listening to it and part of it actually wasn't for the reason i think that the film wanted me to feel which was oh how how sad that this woman is so far gone and she's so delusional and so on and so forth but i was i was sad that amy adams was really trying really hard to salvage this movie and i felt really really bad because uh she really you there's one thing that you can't say about this movie is that you can't say that amy adams phoned it in i think that she was just given um okay material to elevate and unfortunately didn't have a director that had a firm control over how he wanted to tell the story tonally. I, I think that my issue is that she is giving a really great performance, like you said, Cody, and like you had said earlier, Ryan, but it doesn't really fit in with the other performances around her. It is, like you said, Curdy, it's like this kind of naturalistic, like she you really feel like she is figuring out what she's going to say as she's saying it. And you have Gary Oldman going full like this is like a performance like he has not given since at maybe the fifth element. Um, in terms of how high over the top he's going. Oh my God. When he like says to her right in her face, stay 
away yeah. from my son. Right. I was I like, wow. I'm like, Joe Wright, that's the take that you went with for that moment? Well, that falls on the director, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Truly, when I said earlier that there were some performances that I really did not like in this movie, <laughs> I meant Gary Oldman. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like this has become a shtick for me. I don't actually dislike Gary Oldman that much. But I think what he's doing here is so raw. It so doesn't work. He's in a completely different film than Amy Adams is. And I think that, you know, a lot of the other performances also, like, don't really match her completely and how like naturalistic she is, but they fit together enough. Like her scenes with Wyatt Russell work. Uh, her scenes with Gary Oldman just don't work because he is doing something honestly kind of ridiculous. Um, and the actor playing his son too. Oh my God. Yeah. Fred Hetchinger. Oh, that performance. I, I'm sorry. I, okay. When I mentioned before, no, wait, spoilers. All I'm saying <laughs> is that that performance is, and I'm really sorry, I don't care what anyone says, that might go down as one of the worst performances I see this year. That's when it lost me in the movie. But, like, all of those acting yep. choices, as Cody said, um, it's fault for the director. Like, he chose to direct those actors in that way. He chose to not give notes to correct those actors when acting those <laughs> scenes. And he chose to use those cuts in the final scene. And this guy had years to change cuts for this movie. Like, he had the time. <laughs> to change things and he just didn't but yeah that monologue with that actor at the end of the in the beginning of the third act is when i lost is when that movie like fully lost me i want to point down because at Dang. that moment before that happened i was like this isn't horrible we're actually talking about good like themes good ideas um where you could tell like a really complicated beautiful story and then we took this sharp turn and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> i had the same exact experience lauren and i think that you know, it is one of those things where it almost feels like, did Joe Wright just stop caring at a certain point? Uh, because I don't know, like, how a performance that bad made it through a film like this that was worked on for so long. Or was yeah. it taken away from him? Yeah, that's that's the other thing. So I read Dan's review of The Woman in the Window, and Dan and I talked about it extensively before I watched it. And he made the good point that Amy doesn't really fit in with the rest of the group in terms of like a lot of the supporting um, actors, especially, are going full on camp and she's doing this other more serious acting. And whenever I was watching it, it came across to me like, at least how I was doing it, I was doing it like Amy is so good and the rest of them are so bad rather than her kind of sticking out as a sore thumb, if that makes sense, because like everyone around her is so campy and she's going for the, the good performance. Um, I genuinely think, like, you know, the scene that was referenced before where um, she has the, uh, the vision of the car, the snowy car in her, in her living room, that scene, the scene where um, Jennifer Jason Leigh first shows up, um, and, of course, the scene where she um, is, where it's framed through her cell phone, and we get, like, the two images of her, the close-up from her cell phone mm. and her far in, in the distance. I think Amy's genuinely great in those scenes. Um, and I actually think Julianne Moore is is pretty good too. I really enjoyed her scene. Her scene um, with Julianne Moore is the best, the second best scene in the movie. Definitely, I would argue that too. Yeah, seeing those two actresses play off of each other like that uh, is definitely a bit of fun. And Julianne Moore also, I think, is once again giving a different type of performance than what Amy Adams is giving. It, it, it's like going it's going back to what we said before, where it feels like Joe Wright directed Amy Adams one way and then directed the entire cast around her another way, where 
I almost wonder if if he had directed Amy Adams to match the level of absurdity and fun and over the topness that everyone else was doing. I wonder if we all could have just had more trashy fun with this movie instead of looking at it as the best that it is. See, I kind of disagree. Like I, I think it really should have been the other way around. I really do think he really needed to write everybody else in to take more of an approach. That or that did. too. That's a good, yeah, I agree. And cause like the main, like, you know, Amy's performance really does keep the film together and all of its craziness. Like, I think, you know, the visual element and the watchability and the entertainment of the plot and Amy's performance, they all really make the movie uh, what, uh, you know, the reason why I enjoyed it so much. And I would have hated to have seen Amy been campy because I think she, you know, Amy is an actress who takes, she never goes for the obvious choice in her performances. She always challenges herself. And I think that's what's on display here. Um, with the choices she makes. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep. Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Amy was bad in this. I don't get the the hot takes that her career is over. She's good in this movie. And I think, as what Dan says, it's a hard performance to play someone that's unreliable, but we also care about them and trust them at the same time. And that's a really hard performance to nail. And she does that. And we've had films before that take, you know, the unreliable narrator POV and does well with it and is experimental. I'm thinking mainly I'm thinking of ending things that worked for me (laughs) personally. And we kind of go in that direction. But then it just falls back down to, you know, does the director know how to direct with that point of view? And in these two cases, one really does and one really doesn't. And you could have really good performances in both. But if the director has no idea what he's doing, he has no idea what he's doing. The other thing, too, uh, Nicole mentioned earlier uh, that she thinks that her scenes with uh, Wyatt Russell work very well. And uh, Nicole, I love that you mentioned that because when I was watching this, um, I increasingly as the movie went on, the more frustrated that Wyatt Russell was getting like with her character and just like you could just sense the level of anger and oh, here we go again. What do you want, crazy lady? It kind of mirrored me as an audience member of like enough already and it wasn't even so much with her it was more so directed at the movie so i i almost got this sense while watching all of wyatt russell's scenes that he was a stand-in for the audience 
<laughs> okay, well, but truly, and I think that Wyatt Russell's a good example of like, um, you know, he's playing a little bit more over the top than she is, but it works really well for the character and it doesn't feel out of place. Um, it feels like like a character choice, not an acting choice, if that yes. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think like their scenes were really consistently good. And I think that he is one of the people in the movie who did the best job of really keeping us guessing of who his character actually is. Is he someone to trust or not trust? Um, which I think not everyone else managed to do. Well, and I, going off on that, I think, um, like, he, Wyatt Russell does a good job for the most part. There was, like, one or two lines where he lost me a little bit when he was getting frustrated with her. But I do think the two of them have nice chemistry um, That that where he is kind of a friend, but sort of, like, plays this, you know, mysterious guy that Nicole's talking about. Um, I do think, uh, you know, even though the movie is kind of shallow, because I will agree like, you know, by, like, I don't think necessarily the reveal at the end and the re- resolution to the mystery is super satisfying. Um, I do think that the movie, the way the movie talks about ga- gaslighting is satisfying. And um, I, I think that the impact comes um, from that emotionally. Um, you know, whenever Amy Adams calls Gary Oldman a motherfucker, I thought that, um, I thought that moment was very well earned. I want to agree with you, Ryan, but the problem is, is that like I've seen this before in other movies, so it's not unique. And so what I what I need this film to do is do more than just a surface level uh, of it all. And I never felt that the film's screenplay was ever going deeper into it because yeah. I think Joe Wright was so focused on more of the stylistic elements of the movie more so than how much more thematically deeper he could have gone with uh, the screenplay and those themes. Well, I do think, like, I do kind of disagree where I think that the gaslighting, I think the way that the style, like, the way that he uses the style to really uncover um, that big moment that I was I referenced earlier where she has the hallucination of her car being, yeah. uh, you know, in her house. Um, I think that, like, I think it emotionally and stylistically works to convey this um, message of gaslighting, and it, it carries through all the way through whenever she makes the the videotape on her cell phone, I think like that that questioning of herself um, it is portrayed very well, even if it's not especially deep. And I do think that the style makes it a little bit different than what we've seen before, specifically with um, The Girl on the Train. I do think that it's a bit different because of the style. I agree with you with The Girl on the Train, but compared to something like Shutter Island, I think it's doing very similar work, if that makes sense. I think that my issue is that scene... I think that stylistically it is so ballsy and um, really interesting and fun in a way that a lot of the other stylistic things in the movie aren't so much. But again, the the screenplay, the way that it gets into that is the stupidest transition. Um, One of the stupidest transitions that I think I've ever seen in a movie it's well, just one one character saying a random line that does not make sense. Oh, okay, okay, I got you now. In the context of the conversation and who these people are, like, and literally the first time she said it, I, I laughed out loud um, because what the fuck? And then I realized, like, oh, that's not. Oh, 
oh. And then the second time that I watched it, I remembered the stylistic parts of that scene and how great it was. And then this character says this one line again, and I'm like, wait, why is she saying that? There's no reason given for her to say what she says. And it it's just it's just really really poorly written but i think like part of that has to do with like joe wright uh showing his cards a little bit too much to the audience so that this way we get it so that this way nobody is like lost by the time it comes in later you know it's like uh, you know it, could you because if they hadn't done that earlier dan and given you that like confusing initial moment then when they do it later you would have been even more confused but it backfires because I think, like, as I said before, I think Joe Wright telegraphs the twist to this movie a little too much. And maybe that's because the movie is, you know, uh, pointed at a more mainstream audience. I don't know. The way that scene is framed, you know, we keep mentioning the car. It really is kind of a stunning image. And it's you you realize that's why you get Joe Wright. You know, that moment is like something out of Anna Karenina, which yeah. is <laughs> it, it might, you know, for, for as much of a messy movie as this is, that might go down as one of my favorite composition yeah. like shots of the year yeah it, it's beautiful Agreed. and also it, it kind of <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that it's so well done that it highlights the problems of the direction otherwise found in the movie you know we keep saying i wish it was trashier and i kind of agree because it I, I wouldn't even call it campy you know you have to have a level of subversiveness or something askew for it to be campy it's kind of standard and there's nothing kind of running under the current uh the uh, there's no undercurrent of uh, strangeness really to make it kind of elevated to that level of, you know, washable trash or camp at, in the way that something like Ma is. And I just think Joe Wright didn't really, couldn't really conclude or at least make it clear to the audience what kind of movie he was making. And again, I think that I, I, I don't think that Joe Wright is doing a, a fantastic job here, but I think he's doing a better job than a lot of people are giving him credit for. Sure. I really think most of the problem comes down to the screenplay. And at least which, there's direction, you know? you know, like at least yeah. there's a sense of visual ideas, even if it's yeah. not well, he's, well like he's doing to paper over the fact that this script is just not well done. I'll give you, I'll give it this. The movie's not boring. No, no. And I actually think that the pacing is very good like yes. i watched this um with my mom and sister separately uh, like you know i watched it with my sister yesterday afternoon and then my mom this morning and they both were super engaged and very interested and enjoyed it and were entertained by it which i do which make which makes me think okay even though this movie was kind of a disaster and it was a huge missed opportunity i do think the fact that it found a home on netflix gives it like it, i think that's a very appropriate place where i people will find it and kind of enjoy it um you know, even if they recognize it's kind of a you know a mix of b movie slash bad movie like um i do think that the pacing is well done and it, it will keep people engaged i would have been more mad if i had seen this in a theater versus watching it at home on netflix so i think there is something to be said there ryan i i i think yeah i do agree with you it probably is a nice silver lining that it ended up where it ended up because I do think for the type of movie that it is, it's best viewed at home and for a mass audience. Um, not really much of a, even though it's pretty heavy at times, it's not much of an emotional commitment for people. It's also a brisk hundred minutes long. So yeah, I, I, I agree with that. 
Well, the way it lives on Netflix gives it a sense of disposability, which I think is a larger issue with streaming. And I I think that's actually to the movie's favor. Because like you said, Matt, if it was in theaters, I mean, I would have gone. I would have had a good time with a glass of wine. But, you know, I think the disposability, the Passoverness of it being on Netflix that just, you know, it just sits in the algorithm is kind of beneficial for a movie like this in a way that I think it's a detriment for a movie like Mank or anything else like that. I was just thinking, I also am like, wow, I'm really glad that I saw this at home. And, you know, I think if I'd gone to the movie theater to see it, I would have been more like, damn it, I put on real pants for this. Like, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't I wear Amy Adams's bathrobe while watching this movie? <laughs> Why am I not in bed? <laughs> Honestly. But I do think that, like, also, for me, there was a section of the movie that I don't want to say it was boring because, that, like, that's a little bit too extreme. But... Uh, it was a little bit slower and I deal with that a lot better when I'm not in a movie theater. <laughs> um, I think it's like I would have felt that a lot more. Whereas with this, I was like, okay, let me go on Wikipedia and refresh myself on like why this movie took 40,000 years to come out. Um, yeah. So I, I do think that like Netflix is exactly the right home for this movie. So for all of its issues, one thing went very right for it. <laughs> I know that we talked a lot about this before the movie came out, like when the trailer was released and such. And I wanted to know because it hasn't been brought up yet in this review. So I'm just curious if anybody else felt this while watching it. Uh, what did you guys think of the fact that this is about a story of a character who is inside, never goes outside? And we all just went through <laughs> that over the last year. Oh, super relatable. It's, it's I, I, it is it's a, a nice thing about now. It's a really nice house. I wouldn't leave it. <laughs> like she's in New York City, she's got like a nice house. Like it's a house. There's stairs. That is an unrealistic New York apartment. I, yeah, I mean, I don't care that she's a, chi- a child psychologist. I don't think she's affording that. <laughs> it is friends level unrealistic, but like it's nice. I get why she wouldn't want to leave it. <laughs> I was like, I need to buy a fancy robe. <laughs> you know, whoever her interior decorator was, um, should be shot. Like, it's all contrasting colors everywhere. I'm like, do you, are you trying to give this woman a complex? <laughs> well, I, I wrote, actually wrote an article about this exact topic last April, right as we were in the very beginning of the pandemic. I remember. We were really stuck at home. And I, because at this point, Disney still owned it. And I was advising that they should put it on Hulu and make it a TV movie and have it compete for the Emmys. Um, and, you know, it all worked out, but I do think that it's, um, it's interesting that it's coming out at the, now that we're kind of coming to the end of the pandemic, where people are starting to kind of leave their houses, you know, the CDC says we're allowed to, um, you know, socialize without wearing masks. And it's interesting to like, almost, this movie is almost like a reflection point for us. Like, oh, wow, we just went through all this. So all the, we have all this pent up anxiety and like, eagerness to get out now. So this movie is kind of like a weird release. Yeah, I do think that the ending, uh, it's funny how many movies we've seen over the course of the last year accidentally mirror what we are going through over this last year. Uh, And it's just kind of funny how that sort of stuff works out. I'm thinking, of course, of something like Palm Springs. And we have another one here where people, I think, will inevitably take a lot of what they've gone through over the last year and put that into the movie. And if they get more enjoyment out of it that way or more cathartic release uh, by the time the credits roll, then, hey, you know what? Good for them. In terms of final thoughts on the film, I'm passing it over to Lauren first. Lauren, what final thoughts do you have on The Woman in the Window? 
My final thoughts is that I think it had a lot of potential. I really don't think film was the right medium for it. I think it would have been much better as maybe a miniseries somewhere else just because of all the stuff that they wanted to talk about that they kind of did but kind of didn't. And I am shocked that I have all these opinions about it because I really wanted it to just be like fun, bad movies because I love a good, fun, bad movie and good, bad movies are great. But um, I just see it as a big waste of potential um, misdirection. And that's sad for me. But I do think Amy Adams is really good at her job and she's not going away anytime soon. So there's that. All right. Ryan's showers. I do think um, my it's funny that... Um, you know, the the three uh, gay guys on the podcast, um, me, Cody, and Dan, are all, we all seem to be the highest um, of the group on the film. And I feel like Amy Adams gave us exactly what we needed. All right, let's hear next from Dan Baer. I, I'm, this movie still gives me anxiety. Um, I, I don't love this movie. I, I wish that it had really had the balls to go full bad movie on us or the balls to really, you know, try to make it something serious. I don't think that that would have worked if I'm being honest, but it would have been either way. It would have been a better, more interesting well, not more interesting, but a better movie. And I think that's my issue with it. As it is, it is so interesting and fun to watch, even if it's not good, that I I am willing to forgive it a lot, but I can't forgive it all the way. All righty. Nicole Ackman. So first of all, one of my critiques of this movie that I didn't address is that I do think that, like... Um, they don't do a good enough job of setting up sort of some of the emotional stakes for Amy Adams's character. Like, I think that we needed one more scene with like Anthony Mackie's character to sort of set that up for things to actually hit us emotionally. Um, I also have to say, you know, everybody's talking about how crazy like the last like 20 minutes of this movie are, but I actually think that the funniest thing to me about it is the fact that the last five minutes of the movie go back to being like so normal feeling after it that I felt like I had whiplash. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Like it gives you this just absolutely insane, like maybe 15 minute sequence and then like throws you back into something where I was like, did I hallucinate that? <laughs> like, um, I think I really do think that like the tonal inconsistency is some of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest issues that the film has, but yeah, I think there's good work happening in here, mostly from Amy Adams. And there's some really nice moments from Joe Wright where you can kind of see, like we talked about with like the car moment, where you can kind of see why someone might have thought that he was the right person for this. But it just really doesn't come together. And it's one of those things where I just always assume when a film takes, has this many issues in the making of it, there's... You're, you're going to be able to tell whenever you watch it. Where there is smoke, there is fire. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Cody Derricks. So I don't want to say I'm happy this movie exists because it's, you know, a mid-budget thriller starring grown-ups and there's no, like, a witch doesn't pop out at the end out of the closet. But to a degree, <laughs> I kind of am, you know? And again, that's very faint praise, but 
I have to champion that where I can. I also just want to mention, we didn't talk about it very much, but I think Julianne Moore is pretty damn good in this movie. Yeah. You know, she, we get a little preview of Dear Van Hansen in the like one scene that they have together where they're just bonding and it's just nice. You know, they're, they're both actresses that part of their strength and their relatability is their ability to endow humanity into any character, no matter how thin. And, you know, she's making choices. She's got a funny little voice. She's, she, she reminded me of like, my boyfriend said, it's like your like aunt's best friend. You know, it's just kind of, you get everything that this woman has going on in her like first minute on screen. And that's, as we've said, that has to be a testament to the acting because it is uh, not to the credit of Joe Wright entirely. All right. For my final thoughts, uh, Brian Tyree Henry is the one that needs a new agent, not Amy Adams. Yeah, I'm tired of seeing him sleepwalk through every supporting role in every movie. Um, it, ever since Beale Street, it's like, I just don't know what he's been doing in most of the movies that he's in. And I'm waiting for somebody to really tap into his potential and what he can give, because we all know that he's capable of so much more. Uh, I'm going to just reiterate again, that final rooftop scene is absolutely ridiculous. And I kind of wish the rest of the movie was like that, or I wish that it matched the movie that came before it, as Ryan said before. Either way, just give me some level of consistency because the jerky uh, camera movements, the high shutter speed, uh, just the ridiculousness of the violence and some of the camera shots. I mean, I, I was just like, wow, like what, what, what? <laughs> like I could not believe what I was seeing in front of me. And then by the time it was all over, um, yeah, it was like then we have this ending that is uh totally different from it before and i agree with nicole it does give you a bit of whiplash in that regard also shout out to the cat punch no reason just i'm sure that cat had to witness a lot in that apartment and was probably thinking what the fuck is going on here (laughs) to be clear the cat named punch not the punching of the cat Uh, right needed to throw that out there i i did for a second be like did i miss a cat yeah Uh, and just one other shot I, I, I wrote a note of I wanted to point out. There's a really good shot of um, Amy Adams sleeping. And there's a black and white of like an uh, opening of, a, of an eyeball. Uh, uh, the, the one with it, the, oh, geez. Spellbound. Why did I start talking and not know? Spellbound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that was Spellbound, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, the Dolly sequence. Yeah. I actually really like the way that um, this movie uses other black and white movies in like The Missing Sin to create these interesting shots like i know it's over stylized and you know to the blind eye probably be like obnoxious but i found that to be very interesting yeah i mean as i mentioned earlier if we can allow someone like scorsese to get away with it in shutter island that's the least of my concerns here with what joe wright is doing in this movie uh my problems just go back to the script which is shockingly written by tracy letts um but and doctored by tony gilroy i was gonna say but we don't know how much of it is what letts originally wrote because he has denounced the film uh since then so it happens you know film is a very very messy business and not always what you want gets put up on the screen so for that um i was originally in like the four of the five territory with this as i was watching it but man that ending that that final sequence just like completely crystallized all of my problems with the movie in in that one scene and I am knocking this down to a three uh unfortunately it's a strong three but 
it's something that I just couldn't I, I just couldn't forgive after I had seen it. Lauren, what about you? Um, I talked about this a lot with Ryan prior to this, and we've come to the consensus that I am a four because there are things I do enjoy about it, but then there are oh so many things that I don't where I don't see myself coming back to this in the near future. Dan Bear? I am, like the movie, split right down the middle. I am a five on it. If it had it gone more one way or the other, I probably would have been going up or down a grade. But as it is, I'm just right there in the middle. I'm at a five. Nicole? I also had to knock down my score because of that final sequence. Uh, so I ended up on a four. Was I the only one who, like, enjoyed that final sequence? Like, I loved the -the over-the-top-ness. See, I think I could have appreciated it. It just didn't fit it. In a vacuum, I I agree with you, Dan. That's like, had the movie been all like that, this would have been, like, genuinely fun. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And instead... it just didn't fit. Yeah, instead, it's, like, fun in moments, but it's not... The whole thing isn't. You know what this final sequence reminded me of? It reminded me of the tone of the Beyonce movie, Obsessed, from like... <laughs> yes! Oh my god. That's the tone, and I just don't think that's the tone that Woman in the Window was going for. Um, but like, Obsessed is like, like... The tone of that movie is like the other version of this movie that we keep talking about. And Ryan, what about you? So, I've struggled between like giving it a four... Or, I'm sorry, a five or a six. Like... I really enjoyed watching this movie, even though I know that parts of it are really, really bad. Um, but if I'm being honest, I'm going with a six. And Cody, what about you? So I am sitting at a six, a teeny tiny little baby whisper of a six. If it was if it had ever bored me, it would absolutely be a five, but it didn't. And so I have to give it. I I keep saying I have to give it credit like it's, you know, participation trophy, but whatever. It's my great. <laughs> All right. So as far as the awards potential for Woman in the Window is concerned, uh, you know, all these big names attached to it and so on and so forth. But the release date, the reviews, everything else. I mean, this is not one of Netflix's of many contenders that I'm sure they are going to push this season. No, but I would I would love if like some random regional critics group gave a shout out to Bruno Dalbanal. Oh, I think he'll get his praise for uh, Tragedy of Macbeth later this year, but I don't think it, I don't think it's going to be for this. The only way I could see it being for this is if um, they like give him the cinematography prize and it's like Tragedy of Macbeth and this for like body of work. Exactly. Yeah. But I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I heard some people say like, oh, I thought the cinematography was really bad in this. And I was like, no, there is actually a lot of creativity. Oh, really there good. is a lot of <laughs> like heavy lifting being done by the cinematography that I guarantee you, if there was a better film around it, people would not be saying the cinematography is bad. People are only saying the cinematography is bad because it does not stylistically fit with the rest of the movie. Kind of like Amy's performance and how everyone's dragging her. Right. Exactly. Like, people don't know how to view these things on their individual level, you know? Or it's just the hive mind, and, you know, whenever, you know, there's an obvious, you know, weakness, you know, people go in for the kill. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned before, this film had a huge target on its back due to its production trouble, and 
it, that that that's a constant trend that's always going to happen it, it's happened before this it's nothing new necessarily but you know what are you going to do i think that we've been more than generous in some of our critiques of this movie whereas i already know from listening to some other people out there they are just you know beating the shit out of this movie and can i just say um two things you know one I don't think like I don't think Amy Adams made bad choices by choosing this project and Hillbilly Elegy. I think she was steered wrong by the directors of both movies um, yes. because I feel like both movies had the potential to churn out a really good performance from her, and that would have been great a, a great move for her career. Like I think there's a there's totally a world where David Fincher directs this movie. And she gets another Best Actress nomination for it. I mean, very possible, especially, you know, if Panic Room is any indication. But then also, too, like, I think I I think everyone everyone here would probably agree. She's better. She gives a better performance here than she does in Hillbilly. Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, completely. Yes. I, I definitely agree with that. Like, this is the original, like, you know, original type performance and work that, like, we know from Amy Adams that Hillbilly wasn't, like, whereas Hillbilly, she really leaned into the conventional um, choices as an actor, but here she really pushes the envelope to, make, to challenge herself and do things a bit differently and find a, a, a completely unforeseen place within the character to explore you know i i wouldn't even be surprised if uh, woman in the window does find a new life over time i don't think it will ever be revered as like a great film or anything like that but i could see potential reevaluation of it in the future i would love to hear the behind the scenes oral history of this movie <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Oh God, yeah! <laughs> Please give it to me now. <laughs> I'm really like I'm really fascinated because there are some things like there are some moments in the script and in the direction where you can tell like, oh, yeah, this is Tony Gilroy. <laughs> Honestly, the behind the scenes oral history of the movie might be better than the movie. <laughs> True, <laughs> agreed. And you know, I do kind of think it's interesting that Amy hasn't really like you know she hasn't disowned either film, Woman in the Window or Hillbilly. Um, in interviews and such, um, she's been she she's just kind of being a good sport about the fact that you know this was just kind of a you know unfortunate set of circumstances and she's just rolling with it and is still somewhat proud of the work she's done. So you know, good for her. Actors are allowed to not be perfect, and they are allowed to not have perfect filmographies. That is the moral of the story. It's funny because I feel like with Amy, she did kind of have a really amazing, like, consistent track record for so long. Like, from 2005 through, like, 2018, there really wasn't, like, a thing. There wasn't really a performance or film where it was bad or seen as a misstep. She was always working with the right people and working on interesting new kind of characters. And, you know, that shows the fact that she got five Oscar nominations within eight years. And I think maybe that's too why people are really feeling the blow of like these two projects back to back. I think that, you know, if I had to like trace an origin to all of this, I think it really began with Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And that happened in 2016. Of course, mm -hmm. she had a rival Nocturnal Animals, but then she had Justice League in 2017, Vice in 2018. Here we are now, Hillbilly Elegy, <laughs> Justice League again. <laughs> Uh, woman in the window and we have dear Evan Hansen coming up and that remains a big question mark in terms of if that's going to be big for her or if that's actually going to be another 
misfire in this continuing trend. But we do have Disenchanted coming, so there is stuff to look Hell forward yeah. to. <laughs> and Night Bitch. Yeah, well, <laughs> I can't believe that that is still real. <laughs> it might not be. You never know. <laughs> you never know indeed. All right, well, that'll do it here for our review of Woman in the Window here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Nicole Ackman, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16. Lauren LaMagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. Dan Baer. You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at CodyMonster91. And Ryan C. Showers. So I've changed my Twitter handle back to what I originally had it to a few years ago. Um, it's um, at Ryan C. Showers, and you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, the whole nine yards. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.